All right, guys, welcome back. Yes, you have been going through an entire week of lessons from the book of Deuteronomy. You know, here we are in the last book of the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and yes, Deuteronomy. All right, so let's jump in. Deuteronomy 25 and 26. Deuteronomy 25, just as a quick summary. When there is a dispute between certain men, that individual, if he's found guilty, can actually be flogged. You ready for this? For up to, you know how many times? 40 times. He can be lashed up to 40 times. So we, we talk about that in, in uh, verses 5 through 12. We talk about the preserving the family line. So if somebody dies and then this person is to have sexual relations with this person in order to keep the, line, the lineage going. There's a whole lot there. Verses 13 through 16. I know this wasn't intentionally meant for this, but we talk about weights and scales, about having things above bars. So you like, you know, like you don't have any legal gas station on the property of Israel. <laughs> You know, like you're running it and the clock is not going or the measurements aren't going illegally. That's what we're talking about. Ways and measures. And then the Amalekites in their revenge in 17 through 19, go for it. Take care of them. Like this is what we're after in Deuteronomy 25. Now, as we get into Deuteronomy 26, it still feels like, and Kevin, I think you said it, you said it well, like we're in the middle of what with all of this? It's just a lot of the laws just being rewritten down because this generation... Maybe hasn't heard them, haven't seen them. That's right. They are reiterating what's already been written. Okay? So they're walking through this process of this is what I need to make sure you understand. So in Genesis, um, Deuteronomy 26, verse 1, scripture says this When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you uh, as an inheritance, and you take possession of it and you live in it. So it's going to happen. You're going to walk in, you're going to be given land, you're going to have possession of it. In verse 2, it says you must take, and I, I love this, some of the first of all the land's produce that you harvest from the land the Lord your God is giving you. And I want you to take the first fruits, and I want you to put it in container. Then go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to have his name dwell. Now, we've studied this enough. What is that place right there, you guys? What is the place where God chooses to have his name dwell? Tabernacle. Tabernacle. So I want you to take this this uh, container and I want you to make sure you're going to be putting it in right where God is going to dwell. Bring the first fruits. You offer the best. Now, there's a really cool perspective. Okay, Nelson says this. I want you to offer the fruit that ripened first. So as soon as you see, hey, this fruit is ripe. As soon as you see this is this is it. I want you to now say, and now I'm going to give it back to God. You don't even know, strangely enough, if the rest of the harvest is coming in. Does that make sense? You are literally saying, I am trusting God. Here are the first fruits and I'm going to give it over. It's a trusting factor. And that's what I love about this whole image of first fruits. In verse three, when you come before the priest who is serving at the time, you must say to him, today I acknowledge to the Lord your God that I have entered the land the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. How do we know that we've entered the land? Well, we've entered the land because I have the first fruits and I'm acknowledging that all of the promises that God is saying, I'm beginning to experience the land that's flowing with milk and honey. And I'm saying God has provided and now I'm giving back to the priest. You know, what's cool is the priest over the course of time, he gets these offerings. Isn't that awesome? The priest gets to partake in people trusting in the Lord. Now you can flip it. <laughs> I think this is an interesting conversation. There's a guy named Gary Robinson. You guys know Gary in Tupelo. Gary asked a question. He said, can you believe that it's more of a question statement that priests live off of people's sins? That if people stop sinning, they'd stop eating, <laughs> right? If they stop showing gratitude, they'd stop eating. So it is a, it is a both. And we are saying, God, I'm giving this back to you. 
And then it says in verse four, then the priest will take the container from your hand and place it before the altar of the Lord, your God. You are to respond. In other words, you're not to forget what God has done by saying in the presence of the Lord, your God. Now, before we go there, Kevin, can you go to Deuteronomy eight, verse 11? Like, I don't want us to forget. That's what he's saying. You're to respond by saying, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his command. The ordinances and statutes I'm giving you today. In verse 12, when you eat and are full and build beautiful houses to live in, verse 13, and your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and your gold multiply and everything else you have increases. Verse 14, <clears throat> be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Keep going to verse 15. But remember, you guys, before I keep reading, when you come to this place of the land, you have to recognize this is the Lord's work. It's not yours. He led you, it says in Deuteronomy 8, 15. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water. He brought water out of the flint-like rock for you. In verse 16, he fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers had not known. It just fell from heaven in order to humble and test you. So that in the end, he might cause you to prosper. All of this prosperity is from the Lord. Verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But in verse 18, but remember that the Lord, your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant. So God is giving this to establish his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is today. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 19, if you ever forget the Lord, your God, and you go after other gods to worship and you bow down to them. I testify again against you today that you will perish. In verse 20, like the nations the Lord is about to destroy before you, you will perish if you do not obey the Lord your God. So part of pre presenting um, this first fruits, Wearsby says this, is that what it becomes is it becomes a confession of God's goodness. And so verses one through 11, that's what you have. You are saying, God, you are good. You are honoring what you've done. And in Deuteronomy 8 says, trust me, I'm not going to forget. <laughs> I need you to understand this is God working in my life. And then what he does is in verse five of Deuteronomy, Kevin, if you go back there to verse 26, you're to respond. You're not to forget in the presence of the Lord, your God. My father was an Aramean. Wandering Aramean. You guys, who is this that he's talking about? No, Jacob. Jacob. My father, Jacob, who's the father of 12 tribes, right? My father, who's a wandering Aramean, Scripture says he went down to Egypt. He went down to Egypt. Why? Because of Genesis 46, verse 3. He went down to Egypt because of, why did they go? Famine. 46 verse 3, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. Verse 4, I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you back. Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. Verse 5, Jacob left Beersheba. The, the sons of Israel took their father Jacob in the wagons, Pharaoh, and sent to carry him, along with their children and their wives. Verse 6, they also took their cattle and possessions that they had acquired in the land of Canaan. Then Jacob and all his children went with him, and they went to Egypt. In verse 7, finally, it concludes. His sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, indeed, all his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. So now picture this, okay? Jacob, he goes down to Egypt. And then it says in verse 5, he says he went down to Egypt with a few people. Now, we just saw that he listed these people. It was 70 people. 
70 people went down to Egypt and they lived there. But crazy enough, it says at this point they became a great and powerful and populous nation because God's hand was on them. They recognized God's goodness in their lives. Kevin, if you would go to Exodus 1 verse 5. Exodus 1 verse 5. Now, here's a fun question. Do you guys know, uh, well, Exodus 1 verse 5. Look, the total number of Jacob's descendants were 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. And then in verse 7, it says this of Exodus 1, but the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied and became extremely numerous, numerous so that the land was filled with them. They would estimate, you guys, it went from 70 people to 2 million. 70 70 people eventually became 2 million people. They became a great, powerful and populous nation over the course of time. And we are to respond that God is, is good. Uh, you know, I want to say this. This is kind of an interesting little fact. That suffering that they went through, right, in the persecution in Egypt, it, it led to multiplication. That suffering and persecution, it says that they continued to multiply. And isn't it interesting? That's what happened in the New Testament. Whenever there was suffering and persecution, it always led to being scattered and everything multiplied. I just, I think it's a cool little correlation I just, I don't want us to miss. In Deuteronomy 26, verse 6, it says, as as they went into Egypt, this is what we're talking about, the Egyptians mistreated and afflicted us, and they forced us to do hard labor. So we called out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our cry, and he saw our misery, hardship, and oppression. Kevin, can you go to Exodus 2, verse 23? God heard and he showed us grace and mercy. Uh, This is crazy. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor. And here it is. They cried out and they cry for help ascended. Their cry for help ascended to God because of their difficult labor. Verse 25. So God heard their groaning. And I'm in verse 24. And he, he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then finally in verse 25, God saw the Israelites and he took notice. And that's exactly what happened in verse seven. We called out to the Lord, the God of our fathers. The Lord heard our cry, saw our misery, hardship, and oppression. You know, I just got to tell you this. You have to continue to tell the generation to generation. Remember, Moses is very simply, he's reminding the Israelites, guys, I need you to remember what God has done. Moses is retelling the stories so that when they go into the land, they'll actually remember these things. And he's talking about a confession of God's goodness. He says in verse 8, Then the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, with terrifying power and with signs and wonders. We could spend all day on this right now. You know that on reviewing in Exodus about God showing up. And then he led us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In verse 10, I now brought the first of the land's produce that you, Lord, have given me. I'm telling you, God, we've gone through all of this stuff. And now in my container, I'm saying, here, Lord, this is the best of the best. You will then place the container before the Lord your God. And then it says, you will bow down to him. You will now worship me. We've heard all these stories. And now that you've come into the land and now you're giving the best of the best, now you're recognizing, God, you're all I have. And I love this. Nelson describes this bowing down as worship. Automatically, it causes one to lie down prostrate. When you are in the presence of God, I'm just going to tell you, I think we are restricted on based on our fear of man. 
I go into church and I sense, man, I need to do this or I need to do this. And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I really feel like moving some chairs so I can lay down. (laughs) I don't know if I feel like getting in the aisle so people see me. And in this context, this worship is bowing down to the Lord. You are what they would say. You're submitting to the ultimate authority. It's kind of like what Joseph Brothers did. It's that same verbiage about the brothers fall down before before Joseph. And this bowing down implies really two simple things that Nelson says is that one, you're showing your love for him. It's simple. And two, you're showing that you're submitting to his will. I think it's just a powerful picture of I'm confessing of God's goodness. And in this, I'm going to fall down and recognize this is totally, totally of you. And then in verse 11, it says, you, the Levite, in Deuteronomy 26, 11, you, the Levite and the foreign resident among you will rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. Everybody is going to rejoice. The Levite that you're bringing the stuff to, everybody around you, we're going to say, praise God for what he has done. And then you're going to get into verse 12. You're going to get into another confession, okay? And you're going to get into an interesting one, but it's a confession. This is Warren Wearsby, a confession of generosity, okay, of God's will and generosity. And this one is is pretty straightforward, verses 12 through 15. Scripture says this, when you have finished paying, uh, I'm sorry, I'm in verse, yeah, verse 12. This one actually completely rocked my world. I've, I've never seen this one. When you finish paying all the tenth of your produce in the third year, the year of the tenth, you are to give it to the Levite, the foreign resident, the fatherless and the widow so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Now, think about this. You're going to give the first fruits of God's goodness, right? In the first two years to the priest on the third year. Check this out. You're going to actually give the tithe. Are you ready for this? To the villages for a relief of the poor. You are giving now the first fruits to everybody in your community. You're giving it to those that drastically need it. You're giving it to the Levite. You're giving it to the, fa- the, the foreigner. You're giving it to the fatherless. You're giving it to the widow. You're giving this so that they can eat and be satisfied. And so you are recognizing, look, this is about the Lord and about others. And the minute that you begin to hold it on to yourself, you're missing the point of going into the promised land. And then it says in verse 13, then you will say in the presence of the Lord, your God, I have taken the consecrated portion out of my house and I've given it to the Levite, the foreign resident, the fatherless, the widow, according to all the commands you gave me. I have not violated or forgotten. I think this is cool. uh, Your commands. Verse 14. I have not eaten any of it while in mourning or removed any of it while unclean or offered any of it for the dead. (laughs) I think this is kind of cool because remember in the Canaanite language, they would offer food to the dead. In the Egyptian and Canaanite practice, they would put food in the grave with the dead body. So he's saying, look, I'm not living and I'm not doing of the false things. I'm not following a false worship. I am doing it the way you've commanded. I'm giving it to the poor. I'm not storing it up for the dead people. You know, uh, Constable says this, we must continue to trust him for fulfillment of promised blessings, yet even though it's not realized. We got to continue to give this to the poor, even when you might not say, you know, God, I, I'd like to hold on to a little bit of this. Or I saw how Jimmy, the fatherless, I see how he handles his bread. <laughs> you know, like what we judge people on our generosity. He's not asking for us to judge people. He's saying, I want you to give it away. And so I, I don't know. I feel like the only reason that we hold on to our money is we don't trust God's going to continue to provide. And we've always said this, you guys, over the course of Revive School, 
You can never outgive God. Ever. Well, God, I, I need this for, you know, I mean, my, my Atmos bill, <laughs> my natural gas bill was three times the amount this last month. You know what that kind of does? That kind of puts everything on a, right? So then in your mind, you're like, well, maybe I can't do this and this and this. And he's like, come on, I'm bigger than that, Kyle. Trust me in this. I want you to give the first fruits to the priest and say, this is what God is giving. This is the best. Even if I don't get anything else. And on the third year, I want you to do the same, but I want you to give it to the poor. I want you to give it to the widows. You know, I just freely admit, like, I don't pour into widows like I should. I mean, I'd like to, but I have a neighbor that's a widow, but I'm not like constantly like checking up. I'm not constantly like making sure like, and that's, I think that's just on me saying I'm, I'm stingy with my time. You know, like I don't have time to do this. So I, I'm just talking about generosity, yes, with your money, but maybe even your time and just being a friend. I don't know what the context is, but I think I need to be more generous, even in this area. Do you, do you trust me, Kyle? And then finally, the, the third confession that Moses begins to write about. And honestly, this is kind of crazy. This is actually the bookend. This is the bookend of, of Moses's uh, of Moses's sermon here. It's like the bracket, and it's, it goes from Deuteronomy 5 to Deuteronomy 26. So you have three sermons. We're going to kick into Deuteronomy 27 and the third sermon, but here is the big bracket. And what you're going to have is the confession, and I love this one. This is my favorite one, is the confession of obedience. Okay, the confession of obedience, and Wearsby just very simply just says it's verses 16 through 19. It's Moses' final exhortation in the second sermon. He says, the Lord your God is commanding you to do this, to follow these statutes and ordinances. You must be careful to follow them with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Now, whenever you hear that language, you automatically should start. Well, I don't know. What do you guys think when you hear all of your heart and all of your soul? It goes back to Deuteronomy, the earlier verses that talked about binding and on your hand. Yeah. Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. Like, this is everything that I want you guys to do. I want you to serve these statutes and these ordinances. I want you to follow them because your heart and your soul is in here, right? You love the Lord your God, it says in Deuteronomy 6, 5, with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. And in fact, crazy enough, I mean, this is Jesus's language. Matthew 22, verse 34. Matthew 22, verse 34. So Moses says, I want you to follow these statutes and you got to do this based on your heart. That's the only way it's going to work. But in Matthew 22, verse 34, when the Pharisees when it said they heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, <laughs> they came together in the same place. Verse 35, one of them, an expert in the law. Okay. So he knows the Pentateuch very, very well. He knows Genesis. He knows Exodus. He knows Leviticus. He knows Deuteronomy. He knows he's an expert in everything that we've been talking about for 105 days straight. And he's an expert. And so he decides to put the question to test Jesus. And this is what he says. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Man, that's crazy. Kevin, how many are there? 613. Six? Wow. All right. Kevin, five books in and folks, you got it right. And it had nothing to do with even time change. You just, you got it, Kevin. You did great. Which command in the law is the greatest? You got 613 and Jesus, I don't even think he flinched. He says, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Verse 38. This is the greatest and most important command. Verse 39. The second is this. So you love me, he says, you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And then the second is, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40. And all the law and the prophets depend, isn't this awesome, on these two commands. So all of these rules and regulations about giving up of the first fruits, giving up of the 10%, giving up the best to the poor and the widow and the followers, all of those depend upon, honestly, your love for the Lord and your love for others. If you don't have the love for the Lord or love for the others, everything else just pff, whatever. And that's why I think he started off that way with the sermon. That's why I think he ends with the sermon. He's saying, guys, none of this is going to matter. Your scales will be completely out of balance. Your law, you won't understand this. You won't even understand the blessing and the curse. You're not going to understand any of this unless you understand it is a... You ready for this? Ooh, Rich, it's a heart condition. All of this is hinged on the heart. Jeremiah addresses the same thing. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. Jeremiah 31, 33 says this. this uh, instead, this is the covenant. I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration, and look what he says. I'm going to put my law within them, and I'm going to write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so the scripture just says this. When you love God... And when you love others, you will actually understand and want to desire to do the 613 commandments. If you don't have, let me just say this, this, this doesn't make any sense. One more component to this. Can you go to Ezekiel 11 verse 19, Kevin? Ezekiel 11 verse 19. Scripture says this, this is a prophet. I will give them one heart and I'll put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh. The heart and the spirit is what drives everything we do. Can you go to Ezekiel 36, verse 26? Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Same, mind, same mindset. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I love this. Jesus just says everything that I've been talking about, everything that the prophets in the law have been talking about, it's a heart condition. And that heart condition is what prepares us for a new heart with Christ. In verse 17 of Deuteronomy 26, it's kind of cool. You know, I, I like this, this imagery, this mindset of these first two, just so you know, Wearsby says, is you're looking forward, okay, to the land. Okay, that's what, that's what they're talking about. When you get in there. And then here is talking about today. At the plains of Moab. Today, okay, does that make sense? Today you have affirmed that the Lord is your God. And that you will walk in His ways and keep His statutes, commands and ordinances and obey Him. This isn't when you get into the land. Today you are affirming this is who God is in your life. And in verse 18, and today, again, same mentality. The Lord has affirmed that you are his special people. Not, not when you get into the land. Today, you are his special people. As he promised you that you are to keep all his commands. This whole language of special people, I think it's really, it's really special to me. <laughs> that, that, sorry. If you would, Kevin, can you go to Exodus 19, verse 5? Exodus verse 19, verse 5 talks about how God has been, con he continues to communicate this language that there's a calling on the Israelite people. Now, if you will listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, you will be my own 
possession. You will be my special treasure out of all of the peoples. When it says that, I mean like out of everybody, the Canaanites, the Hittites. And in this context, it would be like out of the Russians, out of the Americans, out of the Italians, out of the French. Like you're my special treasure. Although all of the earth is mine, I'm not discrediting who they are, but there's something different about you. And then in verse six, he says, and you will be my kingdom of priests. In Israel, you are my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. You are my special treasure. You are the kingdom of priests. You are my holy nation. And all of that happens because I've chosen you because you have a heart for me. It says in verse 19, I love this, love this imagery. You know what, Kevin, real quick, let's go to Malachi 3, verse 17, if we would, if you could. Malachi 3, verse 17, one of the minor prophets. I just think this is a cool, cool picture. He says, they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. A special possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. The Israelites are mine. And if you go back to verse 18 of Deuteronomy 26, it says, and today the Lord has affirmed that you are his special people. Today I am affirming what I've been saying all along. Yes, you are my people. When you go into the land, I want you to understand this is it. And then he concludes in verse 19 that he will elevate you. He's going to elevate his special people. Look at this. To praise, to fame and glory above all the nations he has made. And that you will be a holy people to the Lord your God as he promised. Rich and Kevin, you guys are good at just keeping it real, real simple here. What's he saying about Israel based on this verse? He's going to make them. He's going to do what he promised, basically. And it's going to, they're going to be set apart. But they have to, it's conditional. Obey. They have to obey. They have to obey. And I think what's crazy to me is even today, you still hear about the news about Israel all the time. You guys are the the little size of New Jersey. But yet God continues to, I believe, elevate them in some form, in some form. I'm not saying complete, okay? But in some form, praise, fame, and glory. God says, I am with you. And it's all dependent upon whether or not you receive the word and you're ready for this and then do it. Warren Wearsby says a lot of us, of us have ears to hear. The question is, what do we do with it? And in Psalm 81, verse 11, Kevin, if you would go there. Psalm 81, verse 11. Psalm 81, verse 11. But my people did not listen to me. Israel did not obey me. This was written, just FYI, after the process, right? <laughs> he says in verse 12, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts. Do you understand? It's a heart condition. They were stubborn in their way. They wanted to follow their own plans. And in verse 13, if only my people would listen to me, if only they would obey and would follow my ways. Verse 14, scripture says this, I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. It is a heart condition. In verse 16, scripture says, but he would feed Israel with the best wheat. I would satisfy you with honey from the rock. And all of this is dependent upon these 16 through 19 verses. If only you would be willing to be obedient, I would pour out my blessings. I have so much in store for my special treasure, so much in store for my holy people, the holy uh, nation, the, the, the kingdom of priests. And he says, I want you to experience what? 
the blessings that I have for you and not the curses. I want you to understand that the provision and the protection that's coming your way, but it's all dependent in this context in Deuteronomy 26 based on obedience. All I want to do is I want to close in Genesis 12. Remember this, how they function in obedience. So are we. Okay, we might be Gentiles, we might not be Jews, but I promise you this, one area of obedience that I'm going to continue to work on in my life is I want to bless the Israelites. Why? So that we will be blessed. I don't want to be cursed because Scripture says if you curse them, they will curse, He will curse you. I want to be a blessing to the nation of Israel. And my prayer is that the Israelites, they want to experience a blessing as well, and it's dependent upon obedience. Take it one step further, it's dependent upon a heart condition of loving God and loving others. All right, guys, it's been a great week. Lesson 105 is in the books. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks.